This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. All right, well, welcome back to our class on missions, our survey of missions. Seems like we've been working on this for quite a while, but we're still only on lesson six um, with all the different uh, interruptions. Uh, My dad doing a presentation. Of course, next week we'll be missing as well because of the revival. Um, But then I think after that we'll have a couple weeks to, to finish it out. So we've been up to this point covering more general type topics uh, as far as missions goes. Uh, What is a missionary? Talking about the Great Commission, um, the contrast between social action and gospel proclamation. And of course last week we were able to kind of do an overview of missionary history. And I hope that was uh, interesting and helpful to you. And maybe you were able to uh, find a missionary biography you can work on. Today we're going to look at some more uh, practical type things, all right? I call this one, How Romantic, the Realities of Missionary Life. And so, um, you know, last week we talked about missionary biographies. And so when we come to missionary biographies, missionary stories, a lot of times what we find is somebody's entire life will often be distilled into this one super exciting story, right? Right? Um, especially, especially when it comes to kids' Bible stories or a uh, missionary story like you have in vacation Bible school or something like that. You know, this, there's just this one story of adventure and a life of suffering and service is just this incredibly romantic story. And by romantic, I'm not talking about a romance movie or something like that. I'm just saying this idealized view of reality. And so a lot of times, I think that's what we kind of expect from missionaries And uh, I think sometimes it's what missionaries expect uh, themselves, perhaps. So here we are, we're looking, I don't know how the color's coming through, because once again, I'm colorblind. Those are rose-colored glasses, just to clarify, okay? We're looking at the world through rose-colored glasses, and that's a lot of times uh, how it works out. As we consider missionaries and missionary service, you know, we, and I think missionaries buy into it sometimes too, you know, we have this this vision that we're going to go to the mission field and we're going to flow effortlessly through and, and natives will be crowding in, you know, asking to be saved and thanking us for our selfless service. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of times this leads to disappointment and disillusionment as people realize that missionary life isn't always exactly like that. So today, I want us to take the rose-colored glasses off. And we're going to look at some of the realities of missionary life. I hope this will be informative to you. And, um, um, you know, a lot of this is, is, <laughs> is going to be very personal. Um, I'm going to use a lot of examples from Cambodia, because Cambodia is what I know. And I learned a long time ago, sticking to what you know is much safer than talking about things you don't know. So the first thing I want to talk about is... Um, the start of a missionary's career on the mission field. And um, once again, we always go back to the Bible as a rule for faith and practice. Today, we won't be spending as much time in the Bible because we're going to be looking at more practical things. But the jump-off point here 
is uh, the biblical pattern of sending a missionary. So we talked about this a few weeks ago, and we gave us a definition here. A missionary is a disciple of Christ who is selected by God and approved by the local church to be sent out. And we looked at that pattern in the life of Paul and of Barnabas and, and even of other people. And so the missionary, is he's selected. God calls him. The church approves him. And in our churches, this coincides with the process of deputation. They're commissioned, they're ordained, they raise the support, they get everything together to be going over to the field. And um, that certainly carries its own set of challenges as well. And because for a a lot of us in the pews, most of the missionaries we see are on deputation. And so I think sometimes it's easy to get this idea that that's the whole sum of, you know, the missionary life is going out and raising money. And I'm sure sometimes it feels like you've been spending your whole life doing that, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. But, you know, the, the deputation process, I'm not here to talk about that. But once the missionary is ready to go, everything's been done, you have this high point here. The sending, that's your first point there. Sending is a high point, okay? The missionary is ready to go. The church is behind them. And it's this this really special time. It's this climax of the whole process for both the missionary and the church members. The church members are excited to be sending someone out. And for the missionary, this is what they've been praying about and laboring for for all this time. And, And throughout deputation, despite its stresses, they have been promoted and they have been kind of put on a pedestal. They have been uh, celebrated for, for what they're going to do. And so they're very excited to go over, feel very special to be able to have this privilege to go and be missionaries wherever they have, wherever they're heading to. So then what happens? You get to the field. Culture shock. All right? Culture shock. We got a definition here. It's defined as a feeling of disorientation experienced by someone who is suddenly subjected to an unfamiliar culture, way of life, or set of attitudes. All right, feeling of disorientation. Where am I? What's going on? What happened? And for someone who's going to a foreign field, uh, they're experiencing all of this. Unfamiliar culture, way of life, set of attitudes. They're totally foreign that leads to this disorientation. And there's a few... uh, ways that this plays out. Here's a little chart here. I can bring that up. All right. This uh, this charts the culture shock process, okay? So this dotted line over at the left, this is when you leave your home and you go over to the other place. You're there for the first couple weeks. You're like, this is so cool. This is awesome. You know, everything's unique. Everything's new. I love this culture. And after a couple weeks, the honeymoon is over, and it's like, what is wrong with these people, all right? So here's this, here's this frustration and annoyance with everyday differences. I can't function. What in the world is going on? And then after a while, it's like, okay, this isn't too bad. You get this little peak surface adjustment. Like, I think I know what's going on. And then it's like you come to the point where you realize, I really, really do not understand these people. This goes a lot deeper than I realized. And this is where sometimes there's a second wave of culture shock, confronting deeper cultural, personal issues. And if we were to stretch this over 20 years, you'd, 
I think it would look kind of like a wiggly line. Like there's sometimes like, oh, I got this together. Sometimes like, man, this is really, really difficult. But this is pretty, so, you know, you go on a missions trip for a week or two, you can gut it out. But once you don't have that return ticket, after a little while, some of those things can really start to wear on you. What are some of the causes of culture shock for missionaries? Uh, first of all, it's, it's just a totally different way of life. All right, here's a few um, that have been stressors for me personally, and I know for, for other folks. All right, the food. Okay, does anyone here have an emotional connection to food? I'm raising my hand. You might be more emotionally connected, to, attached to food than you realize, okay? Um, you know, if you haven't had a chance to sit down and eat some snail stir-fry, you know, nicely spiced. Um, here's some fish amok, some nice fish stew served in a banana leaf. And yes, those are fried tarantulas. All right? So this isn't what you eat every day. I've eaten two out of, two out of three of these. Thankfully, I've dodged the bullet on one of those. Um, the tarantulas. <laughs> Actually, the amok down here is one of my wife's favorite dishes in Cambodia. So, so, so what happens is the food is good, some of it, but sometimes you just want to eat American food. And so for us, every once in a while, it's just like, we're going to make spaghetti. We know other people, after a long week, they're like, we're making pizza. This so the first time Renee and I were in India. And this was 11 days. Yep. She could not wait to get to a cheeseburger. Yep. So there's yes. There you go. Well, Tired of curry. after you've been there for a while, too, it's surprising what, what you'll accept as a, as a, you know, they have chains in Cambodia, Lucky Burger, because you're lucky if you get a burger. But if you've been, after you've been there for a few months, you're like, you know, this isn't as bad as I thought it was. All right, so different food. You know, it's, it's a thing. It wears on you after a while. All right, what else do we got? Oh. Traffic, okay? My blood pressure rises just looking at this picture because it rises in real life when I'm in this situation. So this is true in many places around the world, especially if you're living in a big city. It's just, it takes a long time to get anywhere. There's no rules of the road. Um, it's just one of these things that stresses on you. The language, all right. Now, some of you have probably been in foreign language situations, but if you haven't, I'm going to give you a chance right now. So, this is about a minute video, and I just want you to really focus in as hard as you can and see if you can catch what they're talking about. All right? One minute. You can focus for one minute. See if you can figure out what they're talking about. Of course. All right. Hang on. Should we write down technology too? Yeah. Well, that's disappointing. But that's still frustrates me here. All right, let's just try one thing here. There you go. All right, let's try this. And we're going to go back and try this one more time. If this don't work, then don't work. Okay. 
All right, anyone want to take a guess as to what they were talking about? <laughs> His reaction to the uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle interview with Oprah. Uh, <laughs> no, this, is, this was a trailer we made for a project. Of, these are people giving their testimony in Kamai. I just put that up there. Just imagine being around that all day long, every day. People are talking, they're going on and on, and you can't even distinguish the sounds. You're like, what sounds are they making? How are they putting them together? So language is a stressor for culture shock as well. Climate can be. I know for us it is. We live in a tropical climate. So a day like today, we would be over the moon if we could have a day, have a day this cold during the winter. I mean, it would be terrific. But usually you know, 80s, 90s, 100s, lots of people deal with that, missionaries. Um, some of them are on the other, other extreme in places where it's dark half the year and white the rest. I can't imagine um, folks who live in you know, desert areas. And so the climate can be a challenge as well. Just different things you're not used to. Another stressor, there's a whole plethora of things that go along with culture. Um, different parts of the world have different expectations for how people dress, how men and women relate to one another. This isn't one we have to deal with too much where we live in Southeast Asia, but I know folks in the Middle East, you know, women are expected to wear head coverings, not to interact with men, and that's difficult to adjust to. Um, dealing with the government. Um, if you think dealing with the government is difficult in <laughs> the U.S. of A., it's just a different, it's a horse of a different color over in different uh, countries. And so after you've been pulled over by the police a few times, just because you're a foreigner so they can hassle you to try to get some money out of you, you know, that can be a stressor as well, uh, leading to culture shock. Going shopping. Here's my wife going shopping at our supermarket, and she's picking out which part of the pig she wants. And if you can see in the background, the heads are an option if you're interested. Alright, so that can be something to get uh, used to. Uh, you know, another one that we don't always think about is, is dealing with racism. If you're not used to being discriminated against based on your race, that happens in a lot of places around the world. That can be a stressor. Being around false religion all the time. Seeing idolatry. Uh, you know, spiritual oppression, spiritual darkness. You know, missionaries are going to war against the forces of darkness. They're, on, they're, they're trying to bring the light, and so they're going to face this opposition from the darkness as well. So these are all just, just a rundown of a few things that can lead to culture shock, and you're around day by day, day by day. So how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you react to that? Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of negative reactions that can come out of culture shock. Um, for some folks, some missionaries, it's the temptation... Uh, to isolate, okay, to isolate. Just go into isolation, try to insulate yourself against the stress. And so for some people, it's I'm going to make my house as comfortable as possible and do whatever I can do to avoid having to go out and deal with, deal with things. You say, well, that's not very spiritual. Well, maybe not, but it's a very tempting way to get away from the stress sometimes. Um, another reaction, of course, people get very depressed 
Uh, they're in despair. They just feel like there's no way that they're ever going to be able to function in this kind of environment. Another reaction is hostility. Um, it's easy to start to get resentful and angry at the people who are around you. You know, what's wrong with these people? Why do they do things this way? Why do they treat me this way? X, Y, and Z, you know? Why don't they do things the way I expect them to? And to start to get a hostile attitude towards the people that you're supposed to reach. All right? Negative reactions, very common reactions. Um, I'm not going to tell you which ones I've had, but, but, you know, this is very common for missionaries to deal with. And in the end, it is a spiritual struggle. And we're going to come back to that in the conclusion. All right? But... You know, unsaved people deal with culture shock as well. But when you're there as a missionary, I believe Satan is attacking you in a, in a special way. And what I've told missionaries I know who are going over, you know, they call it culture shock. But I tell them they should really call it flesh shock. Because what it is, is all the things that your flesh is used to to make you comfortable and functional and a decent person, it's gone. You know, good weather, comfortable house, tasty food, friendly neighbors, etc., etc. It's all gone. And your flesh will rear its ugly head. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's shocking in many ways. And this is what I think missionaries going anywhere are going to deal with this culture shock. Let's move along. Another challenge um, that most missionaries face is language acquisition. All right? This is one of my favorite mistranslated sign uh, uh, pictures that I have, all right? Once opened, please keep the door closed to prevent cow getting in. Shank. <laughs> okay? Wow. So, you know, it makes a lot of sense in Cambodian. You get the, the picture. Not sure where the shank came from. It's meant to be thank you. That's what it says in, in Khmer. It says thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, that's right. Uh, so, obviously, language acquisition is important. A couple reasons. These are pretty, you know, pretty common sense. Everyday living. Um, you know, it's really hard in most places to get by with just English. I remember our first year, we were uh, in, in the big city there in, in Cambodia. And for some reason, we had to get some mint. And in the open markets there, they have these booths where people just have every imaginable kind of leaf fresh spices. And I mean, the Cambodians use almost every leaf imaginable. So they've got dozens and dozens of different kinds. I'm like, I don't know enough about herbs to pick out mint. So I asked my tutor, I was like, hey, tell me how to say mint. She's like, ji on kam. So after like 10 minutes of me trying to figure it out, I was like, okay, I think I got this. So that afternoon, I went to the, you know, vegetable stand, and I spent about 10 minutes and I went home without mint. So the next day I was like, all right, work with me again on this, okay? Jiyongkam. It took me like two or three days before I was able to get just a little bit of mint, you know? And so this is one of the things you can't, if you don't know it, you know, it's not going to happen uh, if you don't know the, the language. Another thing that language can do for missionaries is, is help them with cultural understanding. Once again, I have an illustration from Cambodia. Um, these are just a few examples of the pronoun you in Khmer. 
This is not comprehensive, but this is most of the major ones, okay? So second person pronoun. So you meet someone on the street, and before you speak to them, you have to run down this laundry list to try to figure out how you should refer to this person, all right? So you see there's nat, that's written, throne for God, lo, it's formal, ta, ye, om, pu, ming, bump, on. And so this is all, these are all things you got to have on the tip of your tongue. And you got to, you know, walk up to someone and you have to be able to judge and say, should I call this person uncle? Uh, is this older brother, younger brother? Um, you know, and then what if they're a, a doctor or a teacher? Well, then I need to call them Lokuru to show them, them uh, you know, honor. So I could sit here pretty effortlessly give you guys all the right pronouns right now. I kind of wish people over there would wear the little preferred pronoun uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, pins. Once you, but once you know, once you figure this out, it gives you a window into people's culture because this is how they relate to people. This is everybody is related. Everybody is part of your family, and there's certain obligations they're expected. If you're someone's older brother, you're expected to behave a certain way. And so, once you get into the language and learn these things, you suddenly understand how you're all connected, how people are expected to relate to one another, how to show respect, how people ought to show respect to you. Just an example, and there's probably ones like that in just about any language, and so this is a, a great way for missionaries, if they're able to apply themselves, to really get in and, and start to understand the culture. Most important, you can't real, it's, it's very difficult to witness to someone in a language other than their own heart language. You can make a business deal, you can teach a lesson, you can do a lot of things. But talking to people about their soul and, and about their spiritual state, it's really hard to do in anything other than their heart language. And so this is a big priority for, for missionaries. And so I thought this was interesting. All languages are not created equal. All right, these are easy languages. All right, so supposedly in half a year you could learn these for an English speaker. You know, uh, Spanish, Portuguese, French, Italian, Romanian, Dutch, Swedish, Afrikaans, Norwegian. All right, so these are the easy ones. All right. There's also medium difficulty. These would take closer to a year to learn uh, full-time study. Uh, things like Hindi, Russian, Vietnamese, Turkish, Polish, uh, etc., etc. Cambodian is on this list of intermediate difficulty. And then you have the ones that are actually classified as hard, like a year and a half or two years to learn and master for an English speaker. Arabic, Japanese, Chinese, Korean. Point is, missionaries are facing this. Some people are facing very, very difficult challenges in language learning. And so for a lot of them, you made it into the slideshow again. For a lot of them, uh, you know, you're spending your first year in language school working with tutors. This is what we did. There weren't really any structured language schools when we first went over to Cambodia. So we had some tutors that helped us. We would work with them every day. It took a tremendous amount of our time. And of course, using it every day. So this is a big task, a big challenge that missionaries face right out the gate is language acquisition. All right. Can I just ask, Sir. do they have any uh, formal sign language there? Yes, they do. And they have their own sign language, Cambodian sign language. Yeah. 
especially if you, something simple from sign language is you and all those nuances. <laughs> One of, one of the places we've lived in Cambodia, they actually had a deaf school where they would take in deaf folks and teach them. I think it was run by the Catholics, Mary Knoll um, Institute. And so, yeah, they do have the sign language there. Yeah, that's another nuance for those who are, who are going into that. Let's look at a few challenges uh, for missionary family life. Okay, so I'm just kind of going over some of the challenges the realities that missionaries face day to day. Like I said, this is mostly developed from my own um, experience, but I've talked to enough other missionaries, I think a lot of this stuff is pretty general. The fishbowl effect. Anyone familiar with that? You feel like everyone's looking at you all the time. Maybe because they are. <laughs> you know, in America and in England, they have saying, a man's house is his castle. You know, overseas, your house is not your castle. And so there's this lack of privacy. In fact, there is not a word that means privacy in the Khmer language. So I can't even complain to my neighbors about it because they have no idea what I'm talking about. They're used to people in and out of their house all the time. You know, we would shut our door. Kids are peering through the, the keyhole trying to see what we're doing. And so, you know, it, it, can, it can be... It's, it's especially for us as Westerners and Americans, we're used to a significant amount of privacy. That can be challenging. The constant scrutiny, everywhere you go, there's stairs, people are pointing, they're talking about you, um, you know, all kinds of questions, you know, oh, wow, you have all this stuff. How much did you pay for that? How much do you make a month? Um, you know, that's just, that's the easy ones, you know? And so there's this fishbowl effect that can, that can put a lot of stress on missionaries and their families. Figuring out education, you know? Do you homeschool? Do you let your kids go to the public school? What if the public school teaches a false religion? You know, what if the public school is going to give them an education where they'll never be able to come back to America and, and be functional because it's not up to snuff? And so these are challenges that missionaries face. Uh, medical care. What do you do about medical care? Um, some places have great medical care. Some places have state medical care that's very slow and unwieldy. Some places uh, where we live in Cambodia, the medical care is awful. Even the Cambodians rise, it's terrible. And so if we want to get decent care, we need to go to the capital, which is four hours away. So when do you gut it out with your kid, and when do you go to the doctor? And then if you really want to get tests done, you've got to go to Thailand. And many people in many places are dealing with situations like that, where the, the best, the, the reasonable medical care isn't even in their own country. And so they have to travel for those things. Once again, another stress on, on missionary life. Has anyone ever heard the term third culture kid before? third culture kid. This is the idea of kids that grow up between two cultures. A home culture and a host culture. My kids are third culture kids. They're somewhere between America and Cambodia. And so sometimes people characterize uh, military kids as this because they live all over the place. You know, don't really have a place they're from. Diplomats children. 
but I think more than, than most missionary kids because you're just so immersed in this culture. And so um, they pick up so much of that culture, but they're still part American, they're still part whatever they're at. And uh, I, I, I heard a great illustration. I can't claim that this is original with me. But it's, it's told about a man who went from blue country. All right? He came from blue country to be a missionary. He was called of God, and so he went. And he was called to yellow country. All right, So he's blue, and he went to yellow country, and because he's blue and everyone else is yellow, he really sticks out. And so he begins to find ways to fit in and adapt and pick up some of the ways. And in the course of time, he sort of winds up sort of green. Okay? He's picked up some of the yellow ways enough, and he's still different. He still doesn't quite fit in, but it's a lot easier for him to fit in, and it's a lot easier for him to live in yellow country. However, when he returns to blue country, he discovers that he doesn't really fit in there either because now he's green. And he's kind of caught in limbo between these two places. And a lot of missionaries feel this way, and I think especially a lot of missionary kids feel this way, because they've spent, in many cases, the majority of their childhood in an American home in another country. And so they've picked up a lot of the ideas and ways and customs of these other places, and they come back to America, and they're American on the outside, but, but there's something different. And they're in the situation of this green man here. And so... Like I said, a lot of missionaries in this situation, a lot of missionary kids in this situation. So a few suggestions that I have as we kind of look at this, you know, more realistic view of missionary life. A couple things. Pray for your missionaries. And we know this. But deputation and ascending is only the beginning. No missionary in Cambodia, I don't know if this is original with him, but he said that the three things that a missionary has got to do, they've got to arrive, survive, and thrive. All right? Deputation and sending, they've arrived. But now they're facing this whole plethora of challenges to try to first survive on the mission field and eventually thrive to a point where they'll be able to have a fruitful and long ministry there on the field. And so pray for your missionaries. And Personally, encourage your missionaries. You know, we get emails from folks. Uh, we get messages from people. And that is so encouraging. You never know where on that spectrum of culture shock your missionary is when you talk to them. Because, you know, I've talked to folks, they've been on the field 20, 25 years. And they still just have days where it's like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> you know? I already know this is a deal, but it's just really bugging me today. And so there's issues that they face continually uh, throughout their time. And the thing I hope we can do is get a clear-eyed view of the missionary task. I hope this isn't the case, but you may get the impression from everything I've said that I want you to have a negative view of the, mil of the of missionary task. Because I've brought up a lot of challenges and a realistic view, I think, has to acknowledge the challenges. There's a lot of them. Going to live in another country to try to do the Lord's work. And I haven't even talked about the ministry side of things. That's next week. This is just living. This is just the survival part. Okay? 
So, but I, I want us to get a realistic view that acknowledges the challenge. And so right now, I want to take about five minutes, and I have a, a clip here that I want you to listen to. It's taken from a sermon that was preached by a man by the name of Paris Reedhead. He was a, a missionary with the Christian Missionary Alliance, who later came. He was a well-known preacher in that denomination when he came back to the States. And he talks about, uh, in this video, his own battle with the shock and the disillusionment that he faced on the mission field and how he was able to overcome that with the Lord's help. If you ask me why I went to Africa, I'll tell you I went primarily to improve on the justice of God. I didn't think it was right for anybody to go to hell without a chance to be saved. And so I went to give poor sinners a chance to go to heaven. Now, I haven't put it in so many words, but if you'll analyze what I've just told you, do you know what it is? It's humanism. That I was simply using the provisions of Jesus Christ as a means to improve upon human conditions of suffering and misery. And when I got to Africa, I discovered that there weren't poor ignorant little heathen running around in the woods waiting, just looking for someone to tell them how to go to heaven. That they were monsters of iniquity. They were living in utter and total defiance of far more knowledge of God than I ever dreamed they had. They deserved hell because they utterly refused to walk in the light of their conscience and the light of the law written upon their heart and the testimony of nature and the truth they knew. And when I found that out, I assure you, I was so angry with God that one occasion in prayer I told him that it was a, a mighty little thing he'd done sending me out there to reach these people that were waiting to be told how to go to heaven. When I got there, I found out they knew about heaven and didn't want to go there. And that they were loved their sin and wanted to stay in it. I went out there motivated by humanism. I'd seen pictures of lepers. I'd seen pictures of ulcers. I'd seen pictures of native funerals. And I didn't want my fellow human beings to suffer in hell eternally after such a miserable existence on earth. But it was there in Africa that God began to tear through the overlay of this humanism. And it was that day in my bedroom with the door locked that I wrestled with God. For here was I was coming to grips with the fact that the people that I thought were ignorant and wanted to know how to go to heaven and were saying, someone come and teach us actually didn't want to take time to talk with me or anybody else. They had no interest in the Bible and no interest in Christ and they loved their sin and wanted to continue in it. And I was to the place at that time where I felt the whole thing was a sham and a mockery and I'd been sold a bill of goods. And I wanted to come home. And there alone in my bedroom, as I faced God honestly with what my heart felt, it seemed to me I heard him say, yes, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The heathen are lost. And they're going to go to hell, not because they haven't heard the gospel. They're going to go to hell because they are sinners who love their sin. And because they deserve hell. But I didn't send you out there for them. I didn't send you out there for their sakes. 
And I heard as clearly as I've ever heard, though it wasn't with physical voice, but it was the echo of truth of the ages finding its way into an open heart. I heard God say to my heart that day something like this. I didn't send you to Africa for the sake of the heathen. I sent you to Africa for my sake. They deserve hell, but I love them. And I endured the agonies of hell for them. I didn't send you out there for them. I sent you out there for me. Do I not deserve the reward of my suffering? Don't I deserve those for whom I died? And it reversed it all and changed it all and righted it all. And I wasn't any longer working for Micah in ten shekels in a jar, but I was serving the living God. And I was there not for the sake of the heathen. I was there for the Savior that had endured the agonies of hell for the heathen, who didn't deserve it. But he deserved them because he died for them. My, uh, my old boss at, when I worked at Chick-fil-A, he's still there, the owner, he used to say, disappointment lives in the gap between expectations and reality. And many times we have this view of missionary life as this adventure, this romance, and the truth is it's not as romantic as we sometimes expect. There's not always tribes rushing to be baptized, miracles taking place, churches being started everywhere. Missionary life is adventurous, for sure. But we're not in for the adventure, and to be honest, the adventure is sometimes what makes you want to be out. But what Brother Reedhead brought out there is that the reality is better than the romance. That's your last blank there. The reality is better than the romance. You know, if we're out there for the adventure, for the, the glory of it all, we're going to have a hard time. But the reality of being able to go out to serve God, to bear witness of Jesus Christ, whether in victory or failure, success or suffering, is far greater than this idealized view that we have. And so, I think that we take a realistic view, we have to acknowledge the challenges, but in the end, taking a real view enables us to see the real glory and the real joy of it and will help missionaries get through when all the rest of it is stripped away, as we've seen. Thank you for your attention tonight. I put a, a web address at the bottom of your um, notes here. My wife wrote a blog about dealing with culture shock, and I've observed that a lot of people prefer listening to her than listening to me. So you might enjoy that. Um, uh, as she talks about dealing with culture shock. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241.
we encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.